I can, I can help. Where's the He's here, he's here. He's gonna come back. He, he was here. All right. Oh. Yeah. Uh, wow, 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 wow. Wow, what is this? This is, that's right. So just like a diamond, he showed me a picture. He was polishing a diamond. So I never saw a raw diamond. He left part of it raw and part of it shine. The shine was gorgeous. Unbelievable. And he wrote in there. I have to, have to pull it up in a second. It's really worth it. Second. Uh. Yeah. He writes like this. I am a broken diamond, but I still shine. And here's the picture. You can pass it around if you would like. Take and pass. It's a gorgeous, it's a work of art. It really is. He lasered it in. I'm a broken diamond, but I still shine. What does that mean? The shine is there. The light is there. We just have to uncover it. And it's explained that maybe that's why this night is so special. Because this is it. Zoyz Hanukkah. What, what, is, what is the core of it all? It's appreciating and bringing out the light that's inside of us. And it's tremendously auspicious night. It's time to ask. The gates of heaven are especially open. They always are, but tonight is special. And then I really, I was, for two weeks, I was debating what should I say. Like, you know, you have one minute and the whole world is listening. What are you going to say? And then man, I was going back and forth. Back and forth, thinking this and thinking the other thing. At a certain point, I said, you know, God, it's your show tonight. Tell me. We'll see what will come out. As we get ready to light the menorah. And tonight we'll try to understand the, the story of Hanukkah from the perspective of the jug of oil. We'll try to go back in time a little bit. So everyone just try to... You know, in a way I'm happy that, it was, that it's, instead of, it's in this room instead of that room. A little bit warmer, a little bit cozy, a little bit closer. We're going to go on a journey tonight. But before we go on that journey, we need to understand something very, very crucial. And that is, in your opinion, what do you think the Greeks had a problem with? Did they really have a problem with a family getting together once a week for a dinner, for a lunch, and if they're really hungry for a third meal, was that really so terrible? What do you say? What's in it? They, I would say they had an issue with the very purpose of our existence. Good. Good. We're getting somewhere. We're on, we're on, we're on, the, way, on the way. Anybody else? Why would they... You, but what, 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 what do you mean? No, the purpose of who we are. And we'll expand on that. To make the world that. a better place. Okay. That's one point. And I, very, very, very well said. Well, let's try to go a little further. Ask yourself this question. Did they really? What craziness is this? They have a problem with that. Huh? What do you say? 
And I told you I can ask your name again. What's your name? Brian. Brian. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> that, that's an answer in and of itself. By the way, and I, that's very important. And to be man enough to say it. Rabbi G told us to do that, actually. Very well. We discussed that with him. No. We, there was a, actually, we had a discussion with him when we were going on the way back from the Olami conference. The Hassan Seifer, one of the foremost authorities of the last 300 years, he writes, he said, the first thing a rabbi has to know how to say is, I don't know. Yeah. And not knowing, not knowing is sometimes the deepest knowing. And that's a discussion for another time. But anyway, what, what could Ramachal, all the way from Queens, what do you say? Repeat the question again. What did they have a problem with? We got together Shabbos? That we, we uh, had Rosh Chodesh, we have once a month, we, you know, uh, husband and wife, they went on a date to celebrate a day? They didn't want the Judaism to spread. So what, why is Judaism a threat? Some traditions from 3,000 years ago, they sanctify the wine and they light a candle and they did. Who cares? Why? Everyone has tra- <coughs> traditions. Why is that a problem? Oh, good question. And the KGB also had a problem. They had a, oh well, yeah. The KGB also had a problem. They had the same problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And KGB executed and put people in jail. Problem. Huh? KGB have the same problem. The same problem, yeah. What was eating them? Jail. What was eating them up? What are your thoughts, my friend? So I'll tell you what I think. They had a problem with the essence of our existence, but much deeper than that. They had a problem with our connection. They had no problem if we would treat it just as some sort of ritual or ceremony. Because that's nothing. You go, you do it, you go home, you live your life. It doesn't take you anywhere. Torah, mitzvahs, is, is a live thing. The kindling of the menorah and the Beis Hamikdash was something that sustained the world. And the sages write in the Talmud that the, 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 the Romans, the Babylonians, when they destroyed the Beis Hamikdash, they were shooting themselves in the leg because they lost out on all the benefits that the world got from it. That, that was, in two words, that was their issue. The connection that we created and throughout the generations, that was the problem that they had with us. Because they knew that if we have that connection, we are invincible. Think that's the word? Right? Eternal. So with that thought in mind, and we'll take it further, let's light, but let's not, let's not just kindle the lights. Let's try to take it, instead of being just a ritual, make it the beginning of a relationship. A relationship with the Almighty. A relationship with our Creator, who essentially is inside each and every one of us in our souls. So with that, let's call rise. Do you need and an actual candle? If you have a candle, that would help. Yeah, let me see. And as much as I look forward to lighting the candles, I think I would like to honor Rabbi Katzin. Oh no, you, yeah, I'm here. Then together. I'm here. Yeah, 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 I'm here. I know, I know. I hear your voice. As we wait for the candle and we're standing, we're getting into the mood. We officially we were supposed to have some, some, somebody to have some accompaniment. 
is something that emanates from the depths of your soul. Very, he was a composer himself, a very big person. He attributed a lot to singing without words. Without words, because then you're not you're not bound by anything. So I'm going to start a melody with Rabbi Katzin. And I, and I do want to say that I remember young Rabobinsky when he was 13, no, 12, no, nine, no, nine, nine, nine years old, uh, a, a son of my very close friend, Rabobinsky, one of the biggest Russian rabbis in the world. And he was singing in front of about a thousand, a few thousand people. I didn't see them. The light was on me. It was a few thousand people. <laughs> and a few thousand people were so inspired by you. My children, everybody remembers that moment. So I want to relieve it again. Okay. <laughs> All right. And the mother is an amazing singer. Oh, that's but a story, for, that's okay. a story so in and of itself. following the tradition. Um... I'm not so good at it. <laughs> father always laughs at me. <laughs> well, with all these eyes on you, it's probably going to be mm. harder. Oh. I'm going to say the blessing. And after we light, I'm going to start a, a tune. Well, you can join me either in your heart or with your mouth. And then she'll help out. And as we kindle, again, as we said before, we're not just lighting up these candles. We're lighting up ourselves. We're lighting up those around us. And we're lighting up the future generations. We're all patriarchs and matriarchs, to keep that in mind. Amen. Boruch ato Adonai, Eloheinu melech o'elom, Sh'oso nisim l'avoyseinu, Bayomim o'heim, Bazman hazeh. Amen. Tirirararararamayararararamayararararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamayararamay
Let's go back a few thousand years, and I mean it. We're, we're, we're my mother mentioned to me today actually. I'm the youngest, and uh, four girls. She told me, you're, you're so busy, you're running, you're running, you're running. I barely have time. She gave me a hug. She said, I barely have time to hold you, to talk to you. I said, I said, we got to make an appointment. I said, no, this is, uh... but, um, but it's true, we're so busy, we're running around. On a night like this, let's take the next half hour to, to leave everything behind, out, outside the door and focus. Focus on ourselves and get try to get to know ourselves what we're here for. And so, let's take a journey back in time. Every night we sing this the, uh, um, a piece which describes all our exiles, beginning with Egypt. And... Um, Egypt, Persian media, Babylonia, and the Greeks of whom we are celebrating a victory today. But it's interesting, interesting to note, on Purim we have Megillus Esther, correct? You ever heard of Megillus Hanukkah? There is, happens to be, something called Megillus Antiochus which describes the story that would happen. But there is no part of the things that we do is not gather together and read the story of Hanukkah in public. Why is that? Just threw out a question. Think about it. Let's go further. In order to understand this, the story of the jug of oil that lasted for eight days, we first have to understand what what was this holy temple that our enemies were so trying so hard to undermine. So we can be here all night talking about it, but we're not going to do that. The holy temple was a was a place where we, as human beings, we're able to, con to connect, but on a very strong level, to connect to God, to do His will. A place where the world got sustenance from it. And to understand this, 
I, I would use, I would bring in a story about I don't know if any of you heard. I'm sure many. I'm sure actually you all all heard of it. Uh, um, there was a, a very famous convert by the name of Graf Valentin Patotsky, Avram ben Avram, in Vilna. He had everything going for him. Everything he was up, he was supposed to be the head of the clergy, and then it was power. It was everything. It was whatever you wanted. To make a long story short, he converted to Judaism. Him and his friend. To make a longer story even shorter, he was even he was ended up being burnt at the stake when he was caught, and informed on. And he was able to be. He could have his mother could have ransomed him, and he was offered you know by the Vilna Goyim to be taken out of out of out of prison and saved. But no, he. He stayed and they asked him, what was it that pushed you to convert to Judaism? To which his answer was, and then imagine yourself walking in Vilna. Cold, wintry Friday night. These people were the rulers of the town. And he looked in the window and he saw a Jewish family, which wasn't necessarily the wealthiest. But he saw them on Friday night by by a Shabbos meal together as a family. He said, what I saw there couldn't be replicated anywhere else. I wanted that. If we were only to see ourselves from the outside, what we look like, what every Jew looks like on Shabbos, what we are, it's mind-boggling. <clears throat> so that, And so when he was going around, he was, he, he went he didn't didn't happen in one day he was gone he went to different places he went to Rome he went to Holland he spoke to he went to the Muslims and he and everyone told him how the you know it started with the Pope that the Pope goes uh, you know they said he went up to heaven every once in a while and no one was allowed to see him and he paid somebody over he had money let me see how the Pope goes up to heaven no so he went into the room and he saw the Pope sat in his chair everyone outside thought he went up to heaven and he stayed in his chair and he had a nice sleep then he went to the Muslims, and the Muslims told him also that they go up to heaven. They have all their 70 ever. Eh? And um, he also wanted to see what's going to happen. He paid somebody off over there. It was much easier to pay somebody off by the Muslims. And uh, he went in, and he saw that they brought him to heaven over here. They brought him the 70 people. Yeah. They brought it down here for him. Nobody went up. And he went to, he went to I believe it was Rabbi Yaakov Emden, almost positive. Very, very, very big person he lives in holland and he asked him rabbi you tell me i don't want to hear about anything i just want to know when you go up to heaven so he tells him listen to me he says by us we don't go up to heaven we bring the heavens down here we take a piece of bread and we bless it and we eat it for the purpose of being healthy we we, we, we transform our rituals we transform our life into a relationship with god and instead of separating the holy and the, and the and the and the mundane, we make it all one big holiness. That's our power, and that's what the Beis did. Beis was when the Beis was was standing, every, we, the world just went. So slow, a private one. Everyone understands Russian here, right? No, okay. Um, everything went the way it was supposed to go. The crops grew. There was a certain, there was a light that emanated from it, and and we have this recorded from people who saw it, and who lived in that time. And that's what, and 
And that's just, just a small, small bit of what I'm telling you. And that, that's what we were missing. That's what they, as we said earlier, that's what they tried to destroy. Imagine a perfect world. The, the sight of, of the Kehanim, we call in English the priests, but it doesn't do justice. Kehanim, those who, were, who did or actually did the work, the, the, the bringing of the offerings, the Levim who sang in the Besamikdash, the, the Jews that came from all over, and Andrews too, that came to witness, for example, the coin lighting the candles the, every single day. That spread light literally to the entire world. The stability that existed in the world at that time. The serenity, the peace. Why? Because there was, there was, and there was the, the Jewish people at the height of it all who were where they belonged. In our home, in our land, by our father's table. And that, as long as we have that, we're invincible. Came throughout the generations, different nations and different people that tried to take, they, they realized that we had that. And they couldn't stomach that idea. The Greeks, for instance, were very, very wise. They had a lot of wisdom. And they couldn't stomach the fact that there was something that was deeper than academics. The Torahs, now they had no issue with us just learning the texts. They had an issue with us connecting to the words and hearing in every time we open a, a, a Chumash, a Gemara, anything, hearing God talking to us. Because that's what's going, that's, that's a relationship. Every mitzvah that we do is, a re, is nurturing a relationship with something eternal. So, Going back to that perfect world, they said, make this just beautiful, a beautiful building. With Kaihanim running back and forth. And let's wear those jugs of oil that are being used every single day to kindle the lights in the menorah. And those jugs of oil wasn't, wasn't anything. It was very specific oil. It was fresh oil which I would like to say symbolizes the freshness. As we said, not just that old ritual that we do, but something that we freshen up every day. Every day we pray, every day we put on tefillin, every time a woman lights candles before Shabbos, it's not the same like it was the week before, it's something brand new. The oil that we used for the menorah was the first drop that came out of every single olive. But they called it, I think, extra virgin olive oil. And everything's fine. These are men, these little jugs of oil. They're in their little corner and their little box. And there everyone's waiting. The next day I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be the one to go into the menorah. And they're excited, and there was a whole thing. Cliques and friends and politics and uh, no politics didn't exist. I don't know. Um, but there was a whole there was a, a whole society of jugs of oil. And they had to maintain a certain a level of purity. They had to stay where they were, they couldn't veer off anywhere, they couldn't go for a walk they had to stay ready at attention to do their job then comes along a king and I'm making a long story very short 
I have this thing with giving long speeches. I don't know. I realized why recently. I was in seventh grade. I was. Uh, I had a, had a, a teacher. We were learning public speaking. And we had to give a speech. It was for five minutes. I gave mine for four minutes and 50 seconds. He took of 20 points. Since then, I always go long. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, my father didn't want to sign that paper. He said, what is this disgrace? He um, said, for once, the teacher was wrong and I was right. Um, I met the teacher, actually, a few uh, months ago. He didn't recognize me. After all we went through, he didn't recognize me. Um... So, that's what happened. Comes along a king, and the world starts to shake. That stability, that serenity, that purity. That purity. Imagine a husband and wife on the day of their wedding. That type of purity. Then on, on, Nothing else is there. Just that relationship. Just that connection. Right? There was one time, and that marriage didn't last more than two days, that I, I met a groom that went to work after his wedding. Totally crazy. Uh, nothing. It didn't last. You go talk that you see a bride and groom at their wedding. They're gorgeous. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. They have each other. So at least Anyway, comes in the king. His name is Antiochus. He comes into the he comes into the uh, base of English, and they start bashing everything, and everything is becoming from impure from pure to impure. And now it is the jugs of oil are in the room, and they hear everything from the outside, you know, like the Amrkan virus, you know, did it somewhere in Africa? Didn't come here yet, but they're holding strong. We're not going to let this go. We're not going to take the sitting down. We're going to be strong and we're going to preserve our purity. And they hear it getting closer. The soldiers are getting closer and closer and closer. Until finally they break into that room where the oil was being kept. Now another interesting detail, the oil was kept in, you know, in, in it wasn't just anywhere. It was in like organized little, like, um, I think from the way I understand it, it's sockets. Wherever it was being kept, it was embedded somewhere. It was sealed with the seal of the high priest to show that no one, no one touched it. It was specifically for this purpose only. And um, finally, they got in there. Now, what do we say when we when we when, when we describe when we light the menorah? When we describe the Greek era, and what do we say? The Greeks they came and they all gathered up around. Against on me, Azai bimei chashmanim in the days of the chashmonaim, the 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 family of of, uh, of chashmonaim that was the they were called, who stood up to the Greeks. Ufortu choy mois migdolai, all of my walls and protection. They, whatever held us as a nation, they tried to break that and undermine that. The timu kalashmanim. Interesting. The the point is made specifically the oil. And they they um, impurified. They made it impure. All the oil. Uminoisar kankanim, and from leftover jugs, which who would think? What could they do? 
Everyone is becoming impure. They broke into the room with the oil. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and they, they broke into that room. And they started one jug after the next. They started knocking it and knocking it and knocking it. And destroying it. And this jug is coward. He's holding himself strong, not letting himself go. And how many times do you think he went through his head? Why should I stay strong? Let me just give in. Everyone is, everyone is being destroyed. I may as well. And he said, no. I'm going to stay strong. Who cares what's going to be? I don't know. What's, I know what I need to do right now. From those leftover jugs. That's what the miracle came out of. For everyone. And that's what happened. That strength to stay strong and to stay focused when everything around you is crumbling. The world is coming to an end. The symbol of stability is falling apart. The sustenance is falling apart. Good evening, how are you? Welcome. Good evening. Thank you so much. Daniel. Daniel, me too. All right. Uh, That's the strength of that jug. As you can well imagine, there were many jugs like this throughout history to whom we owe our existence. And the one closest to me, I was thinking who to bring as an example, I'll bring the one that's closest to me, to my heart, so that it can go into yours. My grandfather. My grandfather was seven, was 13 years old at the outbreak of the war. Imagine again, go back to that world, 1938, 1940. The world was a beautiful place. He had a family, he had a father, mother, four brothers. He loved to fish, he still does. He would catch sprote. Uh, he lived in Alitus, <laughs> it was half an hour, uh, uh, around an hour and a half away from Vilnius. He would catch... Uh, Oh, the, sardines? No, sardines? No oh, way. Sprout in English or sardines? No, no, they're sprats. Really? Yeah. Sprout is something else. Sprout is a whole different world. Come on. Sprout. <laughs> you don't know what sprout is? Who knows what sprout is? Small fish. Small fish. You have to taste it. You can't explain it. You have to taste it. Next time I have to talk to Mrs. Salman, she should arrange sprout for dinner. <laughs> All right? Oh they're, ve- oh, they're very good. And my grandfather would catch them as a child. He would, they had a river right near uh, the house. He would catch those fish. But in those days, instead of a hobby, I mean, for him, that was he brought home food for his family. That was uh, He was a mischievous little boy. And uh, that passed down, that mischievousness, thank God. Um, <clears throat> and everything was fine. He lived in the same city with his uncles and aunts and... And uh, cousins, eh, 8,000 Jews live in that, in that city. It's called Alitus today. There's one Jew left there today. One Jew. And we know her. Came the war. Out of 8,000 Jews, only 800 remained. And my grandfather recently told us to me, I never knew this. Apparently, he was the only one left from his entire family. Not just immediate family. But he finished the war at the age of 17 
with nobody. I'm sorry if I grossed anybody out with the shprote. <clears throat> 17 years old, nobody in the world. We, we register that. What would a 17 year old do today when he his car got a scratch? Huh? Hang himself. There we go. All right. Oh, I don't know. His his uh, his mother-in-law got him his nerves. You know what I mean? At seventeen. But uh, seventeen years old. Nobody in the world. Nobody that he knew of. There were relatives in Israel and USA, but he didn't really know from them. <clears throat> so I asked him. I said, "Then tell me." And this he told me. Actually, the wedding was actually in Manhattan, the Jewish center. My my niece. His first great-grandchild, he came for the wedding from Israel. And he told this to me the Shabbos before the wedding. And um, so I said, then tell me. And the question is a new question. How did you survive? Good question. How many, I don't know, how many people just give up? No past? Everyone was killed? He would take my father every year on Tisha B'Av to the, the mass grave where his family was killed. It's in the forest. How did you not go into a depression? How did you... He's a very happy man. Hanukkah by him is very special. He's, a, he's, he's such a good... He's, he's in his 90s. He's, a, he's the happiest man alive. How? So he told me like this. He's not the most religious person necessarily. He said, I knew... I felt God with me throughout every step. And I knew that if I would give up today, that means they won. And them winning, no way in the world am I allowing that to happen. That was at the age of 17. The world was dark. Fast forward 70 plus years, and he's dancing at the wedding of his great-grandchild, surrounded by a family a whole family, an entire community that my parents built of hundreds and numbering in the thousands of people at this point. All there. And we are here tonight sitting together at this wonderful gathering because a 17-year-old boy decided to not to give up. Think about that. You could have said, what am I going to do? What can I accomplish? I'm a 17-year-old Chinook. Can I really do anything? They destroyed the whole world. Lithuania was destroyed. In Vilna, a place that was the Jerusalem of Lithuania, one shul remained. Remains till today. They destroyed the world. And they made them believe that America was destroyed too. If you read the books. They destroyed everything. What Can, can I make a difference? Yes, you can. Watch this. We're here today because of a 17-year-old boy. <laughs> Imagine that. And each and every one of you has a story like that. That was then. What about us? We're also jugs of oil. We're also jugs that create that, that contain treasures, that cre- contain qualities, that contain amazingness. Each and every one of us. But we're surrounded with, by things that try to deafen us. You ever, you ever wonder... And I'm, I'm, I'm in music. I studied music. You ever wonder why 
Do you never heard classical music in a club? Why is that? Why do you never hear Mozart being played when you walk into a club? It's relaxing. It's relaxing. It's nice. It's not the right vibe. Huh? It's not the right. <coughs> 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 I checked myself out. It's good. It's not. It's not the right vibe, right? Why is it not the right vibe? What do, What do they want you to do? To dance. To dance. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Have you ever been to a tish where a bunch of Hasidim get together by the rebbe by a wedding and they dance? Wow. You never saw a thing like that in your life. That's not Mozart, though. Uh, fine, okay, we'll take Mozart away. Um, I, I, the, the term for the music slipped my mind right now. But you, you understand, there's a certain type of music. There are many types of music that will make you dance. But there's a certain type of, you know, when the DJ goes like this. Right? What is that? House music? House music, but there's a right, whatever it is. Ah, huh? he goes like, and, and and it's loud and it's loud. There's no music. I, I there's music that I can. We should really make make once a presentation of it. Very very lively music. You jump up and down, but you get elevated. You get elevated. Never happened in a club. They're not gonna, I guarantee you, they're never gonna let. That will never happen in a club. I guarantee, I promise you. If it does, call me, I'll come down. All right? Huh? They get elevated other ways. Oh, yeah. Sure. Straight down into the grave. Okay? Why is that? Because they know that the minute you start to think, they're, bi- they're out of business. No one's going to go to a club and do the things that they do there if their brain is working. And there are certain types of music that brings, you, brings out your emotions, brings out your soul. And there are certain types of music that deafens you. Deafens you. You can't hear nothing. Nothing. At all. And my mother finished, my mother finished she, was a, she studied music, she was a big performer and she taught music and she finished conservatory we went through this no. nothing religious eh? purely professional there is a psychology behind every type of music that you hear for a different time, uh, time. think the world around us is deafening us so many things happening you just you don't, you don't know what to think anymore it looks like it's coming to an end. It looks like it's dark. Comes a yontav like Hanukkah. To end. Zois Hanukkah, this is it? What is it? What's our takeaway from this wonderful holiday? The takeaway is the following. I'll leave you with this. There's a big rabbi, in, in, he lives now in Israel, Rabbi Beryl Wine, a big historian. And he's in his 90s and he's still working and he's working the same schedule. And somebody once asked him, what what is your drive? What keeps you going? And he said that when he was, and again, I'm making a long story very short. 11 years old in Chicago. Let's go back there a second. Chicago, before all the violence happened. I mean, actually, in those days, it was probably a little bit more violent. With Al Capone and all that, those people. Um, Chicago, 1946. 
Little Beryl Wine is in his school with 200 other boys, and they're paid a visit by the chief rabbi of Israel, soon to be chief rabbi of Israel, Isaac Herzog. And he wanted specifically to talk to the youth, ages 11 to 21 around. And he tells them like this, he said, I just came from a meeting with the Pope of Rome. And I was trying to negotiate 10,000 Jewish children, the number, 10, 0, 0, 0, 10,000 Jewish children to be, who were given to monasteries throughout the war to be taken out. The Pope said, I can't do that. They were baptized already, finished. They were done. They were done. It's like four languages already. Huh? Everybody's We're holding by six. How many, how many languages do you speak? Uh, five and a half. Wow. We're, right. All right. I, I just like five languages. All right. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, um, he come, and he couldn't do anything about it. He comes to these children and he looks at them. And he tells, I couldn't do anything. And he wept. From the perspective of an 11-year-old child, a grown man with a white beard, weeping. <clears throat> 10,000 children I couldn't save. But you, what are you going to do for the Jewish people? Ladies and gentlemen, when we work at brothers and sisters, I should say, not ladies and gentlemen, we're all brothers, we're all sisters. We look at these lights, a little, little flame, and we think, what could a little flame do? But look how it goes. One day one, another day two, another day three, and it lights up everything around it. A little bit of light takes away so much darkness. It's not just a tradition. It's not just a a ritual that we have. It's our life. Today we are battling for our life. For the continuity of our people. And the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we doing? And again, they had no problem with our traditions. They had problems with our connection and our authenticity. What are we doing for the continuity of that connection? And that authenticity? And that beauty? That is each and every one of us of the Jewish people. Thank you for your attention. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.